What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Erin Pavlik on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her and her story. Erin, I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you like. Hi. Um, I just want to say thank you for providing us all a platform where we can share safely and connect with other people because that was a big struggle after my loss was finding other people that could I I relate to and I could relate to them and they could relate to me. And it was just a lifesaver being able to listen to all the stories. And I love to listen to something and go, yes, I'm thinking that Mm -hmm. I'm not that crazy. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's just great to be able to hear other people's stories in a safe spot, you know? Yes. Well, thank you for jumping on and now sharing. I appreciate it. So My husband and I, we um, started dating back in 2012 and we kind of knew like right away, like we were having like when we have kids talks Um, and fast forward to 2014 and we got pregnant, surprised pregnant, but really weren't trying to prevent it, weren't trying. So we had our son and that pregnancy was perfectly normal and easy breezy and he was born in 2014 and two years later we decided to um, try for another one and we got pregnant with our daughter and it was really funny because my son he's very intuitive and just before he turned two he started telling me that he wanted me to grow him a baby and he said my auntie has a baby in her tummy. You're going to have a baby in your tummy too. I was like, okay, well, we're kind of going that way. Well, we're thinking about it, so let's see what happens. And we got pregnant with our second right away. And I completely had her planned out. Like I knew if we didn't conceive in September, we weren't trying until the following year because I didn't want to go through a summer pregnancy I wanted to have her in June. I wanted a Gemini. <laughs> I wanted to not experience hot days in the summertime and be swollen and miserable. And thankfully, we conceived in September. So it worked out perfect. Um, her pregnancy was so easy, just like the first. With both of my pregnancies, I would ask them to show me what they would look like and tell me their names and both delivered um different times it was pretty funny my son showed me what he would look like early on but didn't tell me his name until 36 weeks and my daughter she told me her name at 10 weeks the first time i felt her move i said her first and middle name out loud and i was like well i've never even thought of that so okay there's your name but she didn't show me what she looked like until way way later on and So both of those pregnancies went great. And my mom, she had had 
as I was growing up, and I'm an only child, she's had um, a miscarriage plus three tubal pregnancies, one where she lost her tube. And I remember going to the doctor with her once and for her first ultrasound, and they couldn't find the baby in there. And I was little, and it was just devastating. I was so sad. I really wanted a brother or sister, but it just never happened for her. So when I had my two, we always kind of joke that the universe knew that I saw too much sadness there, that I, my mom experienced so much that I didn't need to experience it. So I considered myself very lucky that I didn't have any issues at all. So both of those pregnancies, I was with midwives and very hands-off, very natural. I don't want any extra tests. We never did genetic testing. We never did extra ultrasounds, anything like that. I didn't do any cervical checks, but both labors ended up in C-sections, which is so disappointing and so, so sad for me because all I wanted was to trust my body and knew that my body was made to do this, right? Well, it didn't work that way. So I had my C-section with my first and then my failed VBAC with my second. And I was like, I'm done. This is, you know, perfect. I have a boy and girl. This is what I've always wanted. But when I first met my husband, I found out he's the oldest boy and he has a younger sister and then a younger brother. So my Nana, she has boy, girl, boy. And I was like, oh, that's going to be our pattern. I just know it. This is going to be what happens. So I kind of knew after having my daughter that we weren't done. I wanted to be done, but we weren't going to be done. So fast forward to 2018 in late November, and we went to Mexico and finally got married. <laughs> we did it a little backwards. Um, so we did that, and it was so much fun. and. We were just looking forward to a year of relaxing and enjoying just being a family. And then around Christmas time, my son, he's now four, started to ask me to grow him another baby. And I was like, no, I don't think that's going to happen. And my husband started going, oh, well, we have really cute kids. Maybe we need one more. And I'm like, oh, let's maybe go on a vacation by ourselves. Our kids are getting older. Maybe we can do that. Well, it didn't work out that way. And I was pregnant like two weeks later. <laughs> and it was really, really odd pregnancy. Like as soon as I get pregnant, I have these little twinges and zaps. I know within a day or two, even not trying, tracking my cycle, knew that I wasn't anywhere close to ovulation. I knew I just got pregnant. And it was just so odd. I was in such denial. And I even ordered a Bud Light Strawberita with my grocery order. And I was two days late for my period. And I was like, nope, I'm going to get a pregnancy test. And my malt beverage, and I'm going to drink this when it's negative because there's no way I'm actually pregnant, right? So I go take the test. My husband's like, you're fine. It's not really going to be positive. 
And I pee on it. It was positive before I could even set it down on the couch. And right from the beginning, everything was just different. It felt so different. I, I'm very used to working out. I do pretty hard workouts and lift some weights. And I would be so sore within an hour after I felt bruised. It was just not normal. And then I started having like flu-like symptoms. Like I constantly felt like I had a fever. I had chills and body aches and just extreme exhaustion and headaches. And I just hurt all over all the time. And nothing was like that with my first two pregnancies. There was barely anything, any symptoms with them at all. I had a, something was different with Sansa, but I couldn't place it. I just knew I felt different. So we go into our first appointment, and this would be in February of this last year, 2019. And we went in at seven weeks and two days and had our, and he had a heartbeat and he was just perfectly fine. And I had no reason to think anything would ever change that. So at 11 weeks, I went to a high risk MFM doctor and talked to him about doing a VBAC after two C-sections. And there's no other doctor in my area within a three-hour radius that'll even look at me. So this is like a super important in, um, appointment and just wanted to talk to him and see what he thought. And he was really optimistic and really nice. And at this point, it was only, so he's like, well, let's, let's listen. And he grabs the and it took him. Hold on one second, Erin. Can you hear me? Entire minute to find a heartbeat. And that's the most excruciating. It's okay if we don't find it. Enough. Can you hear me? I can now. You oh, are gosh. breaking up. Yeah, I was like, we are having some like major internet oh, no. issues. How's your internet? I'm not even on the internet. I like went away from my house. So okay. it's so sketchy where I'm at. Okay. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I could hear you, but it was just like glitchy. So at 11 weeks, we went to see the MFM doctor to do a VBAC after two C-sections. And no other doctor in the three-hour radius would even look at me with this kind of history. So it was a really important appointment, and I really wanted to hear his opinion and know what he would think about me. And at that point, it was only our second appointment, so we still hadn't heard a heartbeat. And he said, well, let's check it out. So he grabs a Doppler, and we start listening, and it took three entire minutes to find this baby's heartbeat and it was just the most excruciating wait and he kept telling me it's okay if we don't find a heartbeat it's okay you're still so, so early but I just knew something was different my other two we could hear him at nine weeks it was just 
something was always different about this pregnancy. So we end up hearing it, it's fine. And then a month goes by, we go to, it's a little more than a month, we go to our 16 week appointment and I'm doing co-care with my midwife who had delivered my other two babies and my MFM doctor. So I'm switching back and forth. So my 16 week appointment is with my midwife and we go to her and my son comes with me because he is super attached to this baby. He knew it was a boy. He would tell us it's a boy and his name is Aiden Andrew. And that's the end of the story. And we'd say, well, what if it's a girl? And he's like, no, no, it's a boy. So he had to go to all appointments with me. He was super protective. So we go to this appointment and we check out the heartbeat and it's a little low. It wasn't low to be concerning, but he was usually hanging out in the 160s and that day he was in the 140s. And it was enough for me to think, hmm, why is that low? But it wasn't low enough for me to actually bring it up and say anything. And my midwife was like, he sounds perfect. Everything is fine. So we left and went about life. And I never really felt this baby move in the big ways that I felt my first two. And I felt them at 10 weeks. And I felt this baby at 10 weeks, but it was really strange. It was over by my hip bones. It was a weird stretching movement. It wasn't like a little flutter or I, I say it's like shaking a water balloon in your hand and feeling that water ripple. Uh, it wasn't like that. It was a weird, stretchy feeling, and that continued the whole way. And I just never thought anything of it. And so we get to, let me think, what was it? 20 weeks and five days. And that's my anatomy scan. So that was June 10th of this year. And I'll never forget my mom coming over to watch my little one. and. Of course, big brother was coming with us and she asked how I was feeling. And I told her, I just don't feel good. I just, he just doesn't move the way the others do. And she's like, it's going to be okay. Everything's fine. So we went and I just had this awful feeling the whole way there, just complete anxiety. It was a rainy, crappy day. I just figured, you know, normal anxiety even though I've never experienced that much anxiety before. So we get there and we had to wait a really long time. And they finally called us back. And there was two texts and one was a student. So she asked me, have you been feeling movement? Well, yeah, I guess, just not big movements. I don't really know why. And I kept thinking maybe it's something with the placenta. I was assuming it's probably in the front and that's why I wasn't feeling the baby much. So as soon as I lay down, she puts the wand on my stomach and I consider myself a guru of reading ultrasounds. I love watching them and usually I know what I'm looking at. I've had enough and I could not figure out what part of the baby we were on. And she started moving really quickly and doing her measurements so fast. And I caught a glimpse of one of the measurements, how it kind of loads, and it stopped at 17 weeks. And I was like, that's 
not right. Something is different about that. And she just kept moving so fast. And I said, can you slow down? I don't really know what I'm looking at. Like, can you show me what I'm looking at? And she was like, oh, we're just taking measurements. We'll look in just a second. Like, okay. And my husband and my son were kind of goofing off and not really paying attention, waiting for them to like do their job and say, okay, here, now you can look. And I asked them to calm down and be quiet. I was trying to pay attention, just something was off. And we didn't want to find out the gender because I was planning a gender reveal, which I had done a gender reveal with my other two kids. And it was a big deal. I love doing surprises and big parties. And we throw parties all the time. We love them. And so I didn't want to find out this baby's gender. I wanted to wait until birth. I also didn't want to make him a nursery. I didn't want to do all these planning things that I usually am really big with my other kids. And my husband begged me. He really, he's type A. He really needed to know. He needs to know that information. So I get, I said, okay, we'll find out the gender because it's important to you. And it wasn't a huge, you know, make or break thing for me. So we didn't want to find it out then. We wanted them to email the person we were ordering stuff from and we were going to find out at our party on Saturday. And so we close our eyes and she's checking and she's like, we're just doing a couple more measurements. And I was like, well, that's, why are you doing so many men's? Like, usually it takes a few seconds to check a gender and this like minutes pass by. So. Finally, they say, okay, hold on one second. We need to go get a doctor to confirm the sex. So they left. And you know that feeling that you just know something is not right. And they came back, the door opened up, and this doctor that I've never met said those words that everybody just hates and said, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. And he said these words before his hand was even off the doorknob. He was barely in the room. We had no warning. The text made it seem like everything was fine. They gave us no indication that they needed this doctor to check things out to they just made us think it was fine that he had to come in to confirm the sex and now the one lady's behind him asking to take our son and he's telling us there's no heartbeat and it, it was just surreal it was just I can't even explain that feeling and I know so many other women know this feeling but he came in and he sat down with us and showed us a still baby. Finally, he kept the wand still and the baby was all curled up in a little ball. And that's why I couldn't tell what we were looking at because he was so curled up. And he showed us where the heartbeat should have been. And it was just still. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you a few minutes. And he got up and left. And that was the end of that. And our poor son, he was the first one to really, I think, process the information. And he said, 
does that mean my baby is dead? And I sat up and just like went into mom mode and I explained that that's what it meant, that her baby's heartbeat stopped beating and he had to go to heaven. And I know I didn't cry. I'm not sure. I think my husband might have started crying. My son was bawling. And we sat there for a few minutes and then we left the room and to go find our doctor to talk to him. And we walked in that room and I'll never forget how nonchalant I was because I would I just went numb. And I remember like fixing my hair and setting my purse down in like little moments that stick out in time that you would never pay attention to normally that they really didn't mean anything. But I remember those because it was so odd to me that my world just crashed down, yet I was fixing my ponytail. So he explained our choices and we could do um, an amniocentesis and induction and delivery, which would give us the best chance of finding out what happened. And at this point, the baby was measuring um, about 17 weeks. So he passed between my last appointment, which was at 16 weeks, two days, and 17 weeks. And I'm now 20 weeks and five days, so it had almost been a month of him being gone. But because I never felt major movements, nothing had ever really changed with his movements. And I even told the doctor, but I feel him moving. And is that just him like floating around in there? Which that thought is just awful. So he, you know, he said, yeah, that was what it was. And so he, we could have get, gotten a DNE because the baby was too big for a TNC. So I guess I'm not really sure of the difference, but I just knew that I've never wanted to experience going through a DNC. That sounded really scary to me. And it, we wouldn't have a great chance of finding out what happened to him. And even to keep him whole and deliver him, we would only have about a 50-50 chance of finding out what it was and even finding out his sex. Because at this point, we still didn't know the ultrasound text. Couldn't tell. Um, he was very swollen. So he wanted us to go home and think about what we wanted to do and um, I kind of realized at that moment that I was still going to have to deliver this baby and I don't think you ever think about what happens if something happens to your baby and how they will get out of your body nobody wants to think about that that that's just too horrible so I realized this doctor wants me to deliver this baby. I've never been induced. I don't want to be induced. 
but he's suggesting induction and a vaginal delivery, which I was planning a vaginal delivery, but not this way. So that was, that was really upsetting to realize that. So we, we came home and my mom was here with my little one. She was um, a little over a year and a half at that time. And well, actually she had just turned two. And I was worried about telling my mom this because of all of her losses. And I just knew it was going to hit her so hard. And my husband called his mom and she came over to our house and met us here. And the rest of the night was just a blur. I don't really remember it. And we just cried a lot. Sorry to interrupt today's episode, but I want to talk a bit about lube. Yes, lube. I would give a fair TMI warning beforehand, but let's be real. There's no such thing as TMI on this podcast. Okay. Who here uses lube? I do. Who here makes sure your lube is fertility friendly? I do. Even when not trying to conceive, I ensure my lube is fertility friendly because honestly, how is a non-fertility friendly lube even natural? Anyways, today let's talk Fairhaven Health's Baby Dance Lube. Baby Dance Lube is the only fertility friendly lubrication that is paraben free and cleared by the FDA. The patented formula is pH matched to fertile cervical mucus and semen. This means sperm won't die in the lubricant. Isn't that what we're all after? Now go get your baby dance on, ladies, and I always say keep your eyes on the prize. Don't forget to visit fairhavenhealth.com or use the link in the description of this episode to get your hands on some baby dance lubricant. Now let's get back to today's episode. And um, we put our kids to bed, and we went to bed, and I know I couldn't sleep, and I ended up on Facebook, and I joined a few groups, and... We're asking people questions. I was just so torn on what to do and not having anybody to talk to who knew what I was going through and who could tell me what to expect. And I found that a lot of the women on these groups were saying, I wanted to keep my baby inside me. I felt like they were safe there. I wanted to protect them. And I felt the complete opposite, which made me feel awful. I felt like I had my dead baby inside me and I wanted him out now. I could still feel him moving, even though it was me moving and making him move. I still felt that and it just felt so cruel to feel that and so eventually I hung up my phone stopped searching and tried to go to sleep and I woke up about an hour later yelling at my husband because I had a nightmare that he had turned into a monster and was standing over me in bed and I woke up screaming what are you doing what are you doing to me please stop And he jumped up and I said, you know, I'm sorry. I was having a nightmare. (laughs) You weren't doing anything. And I realized this is a nightmare that I can't wake up from. Like, we have to make decisions. We have to do this. And so we talked about it. And I said, the doctor had given us an option of waiting a week to see if my body would start labor on its own 
but I realized that I just needed to get him out. I couldn't have another night of trying to sleep and thinking he's gone and he's inside of me. So we decided that we would call in the morning and we wanted induction and that we wanted to go see our midwives that we were very close to. And so we get up in the morning and we called them and my main midwife was at a birth. So we made an appointment with her partner that I also loved too. And we went and saw her in the early afternoon and told her what was happening and she cried with us. And I think that was really surprising to me to see medical professionals crying with us because they're just so devastated to hear our news with us. And my husband asked her to check for a heartbeat again. And I think that was probably one of the hardest moments to see him grasping at hope when I knew that it wasn't true. Nothing was going to come of it. It was like that night my body had, my mind had caught up to my body and, or my body caught up to my mind. I don't know. Um, But I started having cramps. My stomach felt deflated. I realized that in the last couple of months that I had said a lot of sad things that my friends would tell me later that they knew something was, I didn't feel like everything was okay. They knew something was wrong and I just couldn't admit it. And so she checks and there's of course no heartbeat and it was just devastation all over. So we decided with her that it would be best to stay with the MFM because he would be able to test us for way more than the midwives are able to. They're at a smaller, more like community hospital and the MFM is at a high risk and they'll be able to perform the amniocentesis and do all those things right there, whereas they would have to send it out with the midwife. So we went into the MFM's office or the hospital a few hours later, and he started us with, um, they're called like seaweed sticks. I had never heard of them beforehand. Um, I think the actual term is like luminary sticks or something like that. I don't know. They're called they're they're like actual seaweed sticks that you insert into your cervix or they in, insert into your cervix, which is extremely painful because I was closed and not ready to give birth. And with a gauze filled with water and that's left up there for like 12 hours. And the seaweed sticks absorb the water and they expand to force you to dilate. So we got those done and we went home and went to bed and had to be back at the hospital at 7 a.m. It was another sleepless night and we went to the hospital in the morning and 
we did the amniocentesis and I found out my placenta was in the front. So that was a lot of explained of how I didn't feel his movements. And um, the water was just, my water wasn't normal anymore because he had been passed for so long. It was like a dark brown color. And so we did that. And then we started the first round of oral cytotech at about 10 a.m. And I have a history of super slow dilation and long labors. And so we were not hopeful that it would happen quickly. And the doctor said on average, it's between six and 36 hours. And my birthday was the next day. So we were really hoping to deliver him that day because I really didn't want I mean, my birthday's ruined now anyway, so I don't think I'll ever have a happy celebratory birthday again, but I really didn't want it to be on the same day. So um, we were hoping for just a quick, easy delivery. I was warned multiple times that um, being this far along and him being passed for so long that blood clotting can be an issue, so they did a lot of blood work on me, and that a lot of times you still end up in a DNC afterwards because the placenta won't deliver. And I'm kind of the 1% of if it can, if there's a slightest chance it can happen, it's probably going to happen to me. It just goes that way in my entire life. So I kind of figured, you know, I'm going to deliver him and then I'm going to go in for DNC anyway. Well, labor happened and it was so much more painful than my natural labors. I was really shocked by that, even with how small my uterus was. And things were going well, but the I was so tiny that the monitors wouldn't pick anything up. So the resident doctor really wasn't believing that I was having contractions. And um, she wanted me to take another dose of the cytotech. And just before that, my water broke and I felt a pop and a gush and I I told him my water just broke and she didn't really believe me then and we found out that one of the the seaweed sticks had popped out and my water did in fact break like I said and she still wanted me to take the second dose and I said I really don't need it but okay so I took the second dose at about 1 30 and I hadn't been to the bathroom in a really long time and I was getting really uncomfortable so I asked to take the monitors off they weren't picking anything up anyway I wanted to move I wanted to go to the bathroom so we took those off and I went to the bathroom and my mom and my husband were begging me to take meds they I was offered an epidural I could have had anything I wanted and I was so annoyed with them asking me I mean, they were begging. They were in tears. They didn't want to see me in pain on top of the emotional mental pain that was going on. And my husband followed me to the bathroom and he's like, babe, please, will you just take like half a dose? Can we do that? Just, you know, something to take the edge off. And I was like, fine, whatever. Just get out of my way. I'll do whatever you want. I just need to pee. And I want to get back to hold on to the bed for a contraction in one and a half minutes. And 
So he was satisfied with that and backed up and I peed and I raced back to the bed and he was standing right there. And I remember just thinking I just wanted to be in his arms. So I grabbed his arms and I put my head on his chest and I had a contraction and my body started pushing and he came super fast and all the seaweed sticks started popping out and I yelled at my nurse, there's more popping. And she came over and my husband explains it as like she threw me on the bed, took my shoulders and just like rolled me over there. And the baby was right there in his sack. And so she called the doctor and doctor ran in and one little push later and he came out. He was so little, I only had to dilate till about six centimeters. So I got my V back after two C-sections. Unfortunately, it wasn't the way he planned, but he came out easy. And thankfully the placenta delivered a few minutes later and it was just so easy and everything went well. And I remember this euphoric feeling that after birth high that everybody talks about that I had never felt before because I was always so drugged for my C-sections and I was actually elated. and which was so shocking. I just wanted to see him and I wanted to hold him in the midst of knowing all this awful stuff. And I still was so happy that I just birthed this baby. And so we held him and we cried for about three hours and still thinking back I'm not sure I ever cried on my own because I was so numb to it but seeing my mom cry seeing my husband cry seeing our nurse cry it's really hard and that kind of sent me over so then my doula showed up and she's also a bereavement doula so she brought me all kinds of wonderful things from their organization like um, a comfort bear and a memory book and just little things like that. And she's also a photographer, so she did pictures of him for me. And we met with um, a couple of people that could just steer us in the right direction of what to do next, calling funeral homes and stuff. And Ardula kind of took care of all that for us. And she's actually a really close friend now. She was with me for my second birth. She came to Mexico with us and was our nanny for our kids <laughs> when we got married. And then she was with us for the birth of our third. For this. And she was just so great. And we stayed about three, four hours. And then we came home. And... The next day was my birthday, and for some reason, we thought it'd be a good idea to have, like, our family over, and our families, like, planned dinner and brought that over, and we're such social people. I thought that'd be a really great idea, and it was fine until I was sitting at the table and burst into tears and excused myself and came out to my patio, and I watched as everybody was leaving they packed up and were like well we should definitely let her have her space and leave and so I don't even remember what happened the next 
few days or a week but that was his story how he was born and it was just something that you would never think that was going to happen to you and and it happened to us and so about 10 days after I delivered him my mom and my stepdad actually got in a motorcycle accident my mom was life flighted to the biggest hospital closest by and she spent two weeks there and so that kind of took me out of my grieving period because I went into protecting her and taking care of her and which was a great distraction because I don't remember what happened in those prior 10 days my husband said I barely moved Um, we still have two little kids I'm not sure how I kept them alive. I'm pretty sure I just fed them and we sat there. I know they cuddled with me a lot, but. So then I'm taking care of my my mom and I realized all this is a lot to handle and I called a psychologist that my MFM had recommended. She deals with postpartum and prenatal traumas and mood disorders. So I called her and I went to see her and I was telling her all about my nightmares and my crazy thoughts and I thought I was just going insane. She explained how I had two huge traumas. I lost my baby and I almost lost my mom. And of course I was going to feel this way that this whole world is coming down on me. So she recommended starting meds, a low dose of Zoloft. And I was not crazy about that. I don't do meds. So I held off on doing that. And fast forward throughout the month of July, because that's a blur. I just don't even know what happened. I couldn't leave my house. I didn't want to be with people. I felt like the world was going fast forward by me. And I was just standing still. And my best friend she gets pregnant in the midst of this and my other best friend my little mom tribe consists of two friends my other best friend she was now about like 10 weeks pregnant she had had a miscarriage back in December which completely rocked our worlds we were completely terrified of it I didn't know how to support her I was just so sad and It was just so hard to watch her go through that. And now my other best friend ends up pregnant and we're just a nervous wreck. Two weeks later, she starts what she thinks is a miscarriage. And I'm telling her, no, no, don't say that. It it cannot be possible. Like statistically, three friends cannot all have a miscarriage in the same year on their third baby is like, that just can't happen, right? That's just crazy. And coincidentally, I ended up getting pregnant that week. So literally the day she miscarried is the day I conceived my rainbow baby at seven weeks postpartum, which was definitely not in our plan, but it happened. And that night, 
she called me and she said, you know, she's bleeding heavy. It's definitely a miscarriage. We just cried and it was, I, I couldn't go through a pregnancy without her. I was so sad. I was so scared. I felt like with her, it would have been okay because we could have helped each other through it. But now that she's going through it, the thought of I could go through it again was too much. And I remember begging my husband to let me take the morning after pill, which is something I would have never considered before. But I was just so scared of it happening again. And then, you know, it was terrifying. And he told me, no, we can't do that. Like, no, that's not going to happen. It'll be fine if you're pregnant. It'll be fine. Well, so now, today, we are currently 23 weeks and two days pregnant with our rainbow baby. And that's been an extremely hard journey of going to the appointments and getting through week 17 through 20 in the anatomy scan was awful. I woke up every day thinking, he's dead. He's just dead. I know it. That's how it's going to be. He's just going to be dead. And that's the end of it. And I hate that I think so harshly. I hate that my thoughts and my words talk about dead babies. It's just awful. So... I did end up starting um, a low dose of Zoloft, and I actually started the day after I conceived because that was such a hard night with my friend miscarrying, and my husband was so worried about me, and I'm like, with my nightmares, and I just thought everybody was going to die around me. It was the best for my mental health to get some help, and it's actually helped a lot. So I'm really thankful that I had some insight from my doctors to make me see that don't do this the hard way. You really need to be mentally healthy, especially if you are pregnant again. It's going to be hard. Take the help. And it's definitely helped. And and now here we are today. I'm on a low dose of Zoloft too. So I, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually considering upping it a little. Yeah. I'm on like 25 milligrams and my psychologist is like, that's what we usually prescribe for people with mild social anxiety, <laughs> not PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on 25 too. And there are days that I consider upping it as well. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm getting to the point where I'm going to go to the doctors more often and doctor's appointments are terrifying to me. Yeah. And I realize it has nothing to do with this baby. I can feel him move. I know he's alive. He's in there. He's fine. Everything was genetically fine. We've done every test possible, but I still think we walk in the doctors and I'm like, he's dead. He has no heart, Mm -hmm. even though he's moving. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah PTSD you know, yes and you know yeah. I didn't I didn't connect that until I told my midwife why do I feel like the world's falling around me 
when I come to a doctor's appointment, I feel like the office is spinning. I'm going to pass out. I'm going to puke. I'm crying hysterically. And she's like, honey, that's PTSD. And that's when it clicked. And I thought, oh, other people think what I went through is big enough to have PTSD. Yeah. Because I was so numb to it. I'm like, you move on, you go on, bad things happen. I didn't really realize this was such a big deal until other people have told me it. Mm-hmm. Which For was, sure. I think, just my way of protecting myself. Yeah. 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 How's your blood pressure so. because of it? Like when you go in, like mine's oh, crazy. <laughs> well, I thought mine would be too. My heart rate is really high when I go in. Okay. Um, my, so that's like, I'm exercising, but my blood pressure, I've always had really low blood pressure. So it is low. Okay. Mine's um, like insane. And they're, oh. <laughs> they call it white coat syndrome. I'm like, yeah, I don't yes. like being here. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I kind of thought mine would be too. And, but no, it's low. And I think, cause I kind of put myself, myself in this like catatonic state. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you're fine. Just breathe. But then I'm having this physical reaction of crying and like hyperventilating, but I don't know. It's so weird. What so a wild weird. journey. I know. Uh, but I'm so happy for you guys and everything's looking good. And I'm so excited to just kind of keep up with your journey. I always ask at the end of every episode, if you had one piece of advice, which I feel like you've already given advice. Um, but if you had one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? Oh, find your mom tribe. They are so important. And I have kind of different groups of friends that fit different situations. I have my long time childhood friends that I love dearly, but since becoming a mom, I have found these two friends that we've gone through the same things together. And that was so important in the, in this last year for us to be able to just be raw and I can tell them my worst thoughts and it's just really important to find your tribe that you can talk to and be honest to. Mm-hmm. I agree. And if somebody wants to reach out to you, where do they do so? Um, definitely Instagram. Okay. And I'll, I have your Instagram. So I'll go ahead and I'll okay. just link it in the description of this episode. Um, thank yeah. you so much, Erin, for jumping on, sharing your story, especially because you're you're kind of still like you're in the middle of it. Like you're in the middle of the the anxiety of pregnancy after loss. And I just yeah. think that that's so important to share. So I really appreciate you. And thank you so much. Keep us posted. And I can't wait to keep up with your story. Thank you. Thanks for having me and listening. Yes. We'll chat soon. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. Thank you.